Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 10, and I will read verses 1 to 8. It's on page 974 in the Church Bibles. Jesus sends out the twelve. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much. Some of you will remain, remember, painfully remember the time when you were at school and they were going to pick a team. And two captains were called out, and you were amongst the people there waiting. And uh, you knew you would not be selected. You were probably the last one to be selected because nobody wanted you. Well, the first thing we discover here in this passage is the estranged selection. Can you imagine the team captains and one of the captains saying, I want you. And everyone looked at her, that person, she can't play. We find a really strange selection. No good manager would have chosen a team like that. You see, the first point to notice is they were all very ordinary people. They weren't poor, but there were no wealthy people there. No academic background, not even social positions. It has been said, Jesus is looking not so much for extraordinary people, but for ordinary people who perhaps, to their surprise, will deliver extraordinary activities, extraordinary things. You see, Jesus is looking not what a person is now, but what a person can be made. Not what they are, what can become under his guidance, influence, and help. So no one need feel inadequate. My wife has never been good at PE or games or anything like that. She hated the thought when someone said, right, we're going to play something or other, get in line. Oh, no. I'm going to be left behind. She has many gifts, but playing games and running around was not one of them. None of us need feel I'm no good or envious of other people's gifts. Look at the disciples that Jesus selected. And the second point is this. They were an extraordinary mixture. Look at Matthew, a tax collector. He would have been regarded by everyone as a quisling, the one who sold himself to the country's enemies. 
And on the other hand, we have Simon the Zealot. Now, these people were extremists. Even death was nothing for them to sacrifice for the cause. Even their family would be sacrificed for the cause. These were the patriots par excellence amongst all the Jews. The most nationalistic. If someone had met Matthew and there was no one else around, the chance they would put a dagger into him. He was a Quisling. He was a patriot. And then look at James and John. They gave, were given a surname, Sons of Thunder. They had fiery temperaments. Don't choose them. <laughs> They'll cause trouble. And what about Peter? The impetuous Peter, he always acted before he thought. Here we see the Christian faith bringing people together. Very different people, different backgrounds, different temperaments, different values. And yet, all of them willing to submit their values to the values of Jesus Christ. My son-in-law, Chris, he went to a church in Switzerland. They've got links with these churches all over the uh, world. And he found Eritrean and Ethiopian refugees that gone to Switzerland as refugees. Now, Eritrea and Ethiopian, they're at war with each other constantly. They hate each other. But here were people worshipping together, united in the gospel. Now, Jesus had a huge following. Here in Luke, sorry, in Luke, the, the choice of the disciples is in Luke, Mark, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Luke, amongst their followers, we, we read that there was a smaller band, among many people who followed him, a smaller band who stayed with him constantly. And then from this smaller group, Jesus chose the 12, so different from one another. He chose them. And the interesting thing is, each one of them responded. All I had to do is say yes, even when they saw the other members of the team. God is looking for ordinary people to fulfill his mission. Willing people, submissive people. And at the end of the day, people say, Lord, I'm joining the team. Now, what's he doing here? Can you believe it? In a little church, this lady turns and says, what's she doing there? A lady had come in. She'd not seen it before. She was in her chair. <laughs> it's so wonderful. In contrast, a lady from the church where I was for some years, she saw a new person come in. She got up from where she was and sat by the side, welcomed them. Doesn't matter who they are. Two interesting words we find here, and they're important. One is called, the other is appointed. He calls them. Jesus did not dragoon them, didn't pressurize them. He called them. They were free to say yes. They were free to refuse. Jesus will never force us, never dragoon us. He invites that lovely verse in Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And the, the tense there is, behold, I've taken my stand at your door and I'm knocking patiently. And then what did he appointed them? It's an interesting expression. The word is used of a general who allocating tasks to his various commanders. He has a plan and he says, that's 
Come on, you go there, that's your ministry, that's your job, this is what you do. He appointed, he has a plan. And the people are willing to respond to his plan. There are people who are willing even to make sacrifices. They want to do great things for God. But not what God wants to do. I had a man called John in my congregation in Macclesfield. He came to me one day and said, I'd like to preach. I thought, wonderful. The best way to enter the church, get him preaching. I said, John, with all due respect, you're not a preacher. I asked him once to read a Bible. So I thought, oh, no. It was dreadful. I said, John, I'll tell you what you need to do. I have a need here for some to do pastoral care. Okay, he said, I'll do it. He did a wonderful job. He appointed them. God has a plan. He's given you certain gifts. You may think you have no gifts. Actually, you have the gifts that God wants you to have. He, be content with what he's given you because you will fit in where anybody else won't. He was a very, very clever man in the church. He'd got two PhDs. He would be useless for pastoral care. Absolutely useless. He didn't have the ability. A lady with no qualifications and a friend. This after John had died, I, I said, will you take on this job of pastoral care? They did a wonderful job. Whatever gifts you have, those are the gifts God wants to use. Look at the name, disciples. It means somebody who wants to learn from the master. And as disciples are always learning, constantly learning. And the other expression, to be with him. If they were to do his task in the world, they must live in his presence, not relying even on their own ability. A lady I don't know very well rang me the other day. She was going to do a job and she was apprehensive. It was actually, she was very competent. I knew she would be very good at this job. I said, right. I said, look, first of all, remember this. You have the gifts, but also don't rely on your gifts. As a Christian, say, Lord, I'm apprehensive. Thank you for the gift you've given me. Help me to do justice to the gifts and meet the needs of these people. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus, without me, you can do nothing. William Barclay wrote this, no work of Christ can ever be done except by one who comes from the presence of Christ. He went on to say, sometimes the complexity of activities in the modern church, in the complexity, we are so busy with committees and courts and administration and making the wheels go round. that we're in danger of forgetting that none of these things matter unless they're carried out by people who have been in the presence of Christ before they've been with people. And then we find they have a specific mission, a strange selection, a specific mission. The disciples are now given new titles, apostles. You see, they were called to be apostles, and that's an important word because an apostle is a messenger. He's sent out with a message. He's like an ambassador. Paul later says, we're ambassadors for Christ. The message we're given is not ours. 
the church too often seems to be following the sensible, the sensible ideas of society, of big companies. Big companies, if the product isn't selling, let's change the product. If the message is politicians, if the message is being not responded to, let's change the message. You see them all the time changing. But we're not politicians. We're not looking for office. We're not business people. Not looking for profit. We're ambassadors. The task of communicating the master's message. Poor old Jeremiah. He was given a commission. And he said, Lord, nobody's listening. The more I talk, the more I'm harangued. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. I'm packing it in, he said. He said, I can't do it. I can't pack it in. You've given me a commission. Your word is like a fire burning within me. Our message will not always be welcomed by people. Who wants to be told that you're a sinner? But that's what we all are. We need a savior. I came across a, what do you call them? These people with a bell in cities. A cry, town cry. In Chester. He rang the bell and he had a piece of paper. He just read the message. His job was to read the message, not to explain it, not to add, not to ad lib. Just give the message. That was his job. He rang the bell and he shouted. If people listened, that's fine. If they didn't listen, it wasn't his responsibility. His responsibility was to commit the message. Of course, nowadays we don't need that. But in the old days, of course, that's how messages, before all this modern technology, that's how people learned the news, before newspapers and social media. In verse 7, they were told to preach. And preaching means to be a herald. We're not expected to bring our own opinions. Very often, I hear the expression in a discussion, I think. Or somebody says, what do you think? Now, I understand it's a shortened version, but I hope it's a shortened version of, this is what I understand it to be. It's not for me. What I think is, is of no relevance. In fact, we should be saying, This is what I understand God is saying. If I'm wrong, correct me. What I think is irrelevant. What is God saying? Am I communicating? Am I understanding it correctly? Now, for short question, what do you think? What do you think? And I hope we're saying, well, this is how I understand it to be. And sometimes I say to people, look, don't listen to me, to my sermon. Go home and read it for yourself. And if I'm wrong, come and tell me. And then we find it's a focused mission, a focused ministry. Look at the instructions. Jesus commanded them, and in the Greek, the word is very strong. It's the way a general sends his command to a campaign. It's a command. You've got to obey it. You can't deviate from it. It's used of friends calling his other friends, a man calling his friends, I've got an important job coming. This is the job. I want to do this, not anything else. Just do this. Help me with this. The disciples were forbidden to go anywhere apart from the Jews. Now, that's interesting. He's just being exclusive. 
Why is it saying don't go anywhere else, just go to the Jews? Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. Well, actually, Jesus, of course, was not exclusive. But right now, this was the message. This was the task. He healed the Syrophoenician woman. He healed the, he talked to the Samaritan woman. He was constantly committing us to the whole world. The last command, go to all the world. But right now, this is the job. I have a plan. Stick to the plan. I was once doing a, a flat pack. And of course, typical of men, I didn't read the instructions. Why should I read the instructions? Because I can do it. And it was going very well. And then towards the end, I had to fit a piece in. And it wouldn't fit in. I should have done it before I put something else in. Jesus has a plan. Stick to the plan. Now is not the time. Now is the time to go to this person, to that person, to that ministry. He gave them clear instructions. I was talking to a friend of ours, Vida, the other day. He's in Macclesfield with the, with the church where I was. And she was talking about the curate of the church. She says, he's a lovely man. And he, there's a council state there. And he said, he's doing wonderful things in, this, in the council state, doing this for people and that for people and the other people. And I said to her, Vida, what is he achieving? Oh, she said, I don't know. No one has come to faith, she said. No one comes to church. Now, let's be clear. The gospel message has no strings attached. We help people because there is a need. Whether they believe or not. Jesus healed people and some couldn't even bother to say thank you. Ten lepers all healed on the way. Only one came back to say thank you. It didn't matter. We have a responsibility. The Christian should has always be at the forefront of caring, loving, supporting, teaching, hospitals, and so on. But what is the priority? Jesus said, go, preach, and heal. I did some first aid when I was a lot, lot younger. I can remember one thing, how to deal with a varicose vein. If you want that, I'll tell you afterwards. I can't remember anything about anything else. But I was, we asked the question, you see a person like that, there's a broken arm, they're bleeding, and they stop breathing. What do you do? You forget the arm, you forget the blood. If they're not breathing for more than about a minute, they'll die. You've got to first of all deal with the, the breathing, the priorities. Jesus said, don't deviate from the plan. People have a need. I was, had a young man in the club where I was many years ago. Last century, in fact, so long ago. And uh, Davo by name, and uh, he used to come to the youth club. And I used to talk to him, you know, about the Christian faith. No, no, let look. I'm going to, I'm too young, I'm 17. When I'm getting a bit old, I'm going to think about this Christian message. You know, I would say it's okay, but no, I want to enjoy myself now. I missed him for three weeks. So I asked him, where is Davo? Oh, he's got cancer. I went to see him. It was too late, the cancer. All the time, he thought he'd got years ahead, but he hadn't. The priority is the gospel. Schools, hospitals, caring institutions, the Christians be at the forefront with no strings attached. But people are dying spiritually. They're dead. And we have the antidote. And then we have a selfless pattern. Jesus says, travel light and trust God. 
Don't take, you know, old clothes and husband, uh, you know, a, a purse and all the rest of it. Freely you have received, freely given. Now, some people misunderstand. Jesus wasn't saying don't take any money with you. You see, in Eastern society in those days, hospitality was a part of their culture. If a stranger came to the village, it wasn't his job to find accommodation. It was the responsibility of the village to look after him for the night or the two nights or however long. Part of their culture. And Jesus says, look, if you go to a village, be content with whatever you're offered. Don't be fussy. Be content. What about the purse? No, it wasn't money, get your wallet out to pay. It was that purse, but a sort of purse, religious leaders would go around villages and not just uh, Jews. And uh, the purse was where people would put money in and they would take it back to their temple. Freely you have received, freely give. The Christian message should be free. One of the first things I did when I went to Macclesfield, I got rid of the, there was a, uh, we used to go around with a collection. So what if people come along for the first time? They want money? Are we here for their money? We need money. It's for our responsibility to find that. And we put a box, a, a little thing at the back, and we said to people, you give. And I find it's wonderful here that there isn't a bag going around. I mean, it's already a bag going around. You can put nothing in, pretend. But if a plate comes around, what do you do? All too often... The church had been seen to want your money. We don't want your money. Freely you have received, freely give. Let the pattern be simple. Let it be straightforward. The message of Jesus. There's a lovely expression here. Freely you have received, freely give. I was horrified. Some months ago now, I heard a bit of news. Some Anglican clergy had joined a union and they were going to strike for more pay. Now, vicars are not paid very much, but actually we are paid more than some other people who are very, very poor. In Bristol, the vicar, he was a new vicar there. He'd been to the parish for about 18 months, and I was there when I was training, and I went to, uh, to assist him and learn from him. And I discovered, of course, that uh, the, pe- the people were delighted. He was, he was energetic, wonderful services. The church was growing in numbers. People were thrilled. He was very entertaining. The house was always full of people, meetings and so on. And I discovered one day, upstairs, was never the heat was never on. They couldn't afford it. They spent their money on Christian mission, entertaining, looking after people. And I said to the warden one day, do you realize that George can't afford heating upstairs because of all the entertainment? Do you realize how much he's being paid? Oh, they said. So they asked me a few questions. I gave them some answers. A week later, George comes and says, a funny thing happened to me, John, he said, you know, at the last PCC meeting, they've given me an entertainment allowance. And he said, well, they've actually, are going to buy me a car. So I'll have to have my own car. Isn't that incredible? I said, oh, it is incredible, isn't it? The workman is worthy of his hire. We have given responsibility. We have a responsibility to those who minister to us. 
somebody, an American, looking at the English, the British scene of the church, said, I think you British have an interesting expression. Lord, keep our pastors humble and we will keep them poor. It's not right. He's called us, go and make disciples. We're all different. We're part of the team. And the gift you have, he's given to you for a reason. Be content, be grateful, be joyful. And the teammates he's brought together are not the ones you would have chosen, but he's chosen them. Accept them. Rejoice. Be patient with them because they have to be patient with you. <laughs> We're a team that God has called here for Emden Hobsmoat. Let's make sure we fulfill our mission, stick to our remit, and rejoice that we've been privileged to be called. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you should care for us to call us, to commission us. Help us to be faithful and joyful in the ministry you've given to us. We pray and pray especially for Becca, Lord, our rector. Inspire her, guide her, and enable to feel supported by us. We pray and give thanks, and we do so in our Savior's name. Amen.